It's Barta Community College, and we've returned. This is Jordan. And I'm Derek. And we are going to introduce you to Sturgill Sensen. And much like literally everyone else during the, uh, uh, what was it, the 2000... Which one did he blow the Grammys away in one album of the year? Were you asking me? Uh, was that for Sailor's Guide to the Earth? It was Sailor's Guide to Earth. Uh, here it is. I should have pulled this up. Plenty. Yeah, 59th Grammy Awards. So he, uh, uh, he had stopped touring during 2017. Uh, he got Grammy nominated, so he toured again a little bit. And then he won the Grammys in 2017 for not only... Uh, the best, the album of the year, which literally everybody else at the 2017 Grammy said, who the fuck is Sturgill Simpson? Uh, he also won best country album. And uh, having listened to Sturgill Simpson for, uh, that was my intro to him. Uh, and then I listened to his back catalog and then his more recent album came out. Um, this dude's a wild ride. So um, we'll go into, I guess, a little bit of the background. But uh, so this was our first foray into country. And I gave Derek the choice of we could do classic sort of uh, storytelling country with Lyle Lovett. Or we could do kind of postmodern deconstruction country with or outlaw country is what some people call it. That's the stupidest fucking title I've ever heard. Uh, or we can do Sturgill Simpson. And he chose Sturgill Simpson. So uh, Derek will explain... What was that first song you showed me? I can't... Uh, the first song was Long White Line on Metamodern Sounds and Country. And I specifically yeah. showed you that one because it was not indicative of A Sailor's Guide to Earth or Sound and Fury because they are very, very different albums. <laughs> Woo-wee, they are different albums. <laughs> and then I sent um, you uh, Walk Through the Bottomlands with Lyle Lovett, which is also a very, very good song. So... Let me say that uh, growing up, country was real big in my family. Uh, everyone in my like extended family likes country. My grandma has, if there's an 80s or 90s country act that you can imagine, she had their Christmas album. Oh, you know, like, woof. The greatest and... sin of all. <laughs> And my dad's a huge country fan, uh, so we listened to it a lot growing up. Um, and as a result, I have a uh, I have a very like weird relationship with it as a genre because. So, are you like the uh, like the Garth Brooks revival country, or are you kind of like the late '80s sort of mishmash country? So, if you ask me, what my favorite kind of country is, it's it's like that Alabama era, like well, the the Southern rock or, country and yeah, revival and like the early to, 90s. We're close enough to rock that if you squint, you don't like you can't really tell. These two pictures are the uh, same. Yeah, well, and because as a you know as a general rule, I feel like unless you're very far, if you're you know unless you're very far outside of the usual music experience, if you grow up in the South, you either have to either learn to tolerate country or you learn to like parts of it and for me that was always like alabama's pretty good and stuff that's like southern rock 
I can get down on. Leonard Skinner is still a band I really like, for example. Um, they're more country and I can, parallel. Yeah, and that's that's not even like it's it's not even really a pure kind of thing. The I can listen to quite a bit of '90s country music, and some of it, you know, even just beyond the nostalgia of it being on the radio when I was a Travis kid. Tritt, some Dolly of Parton. it, some of it gives me genuine chills. Uh, I don't know how anybody listens to the Thunder Rolls and not like. Thunder Rolls is a very powerful song, and, and not like is at least affected. Um, but the older I got, and when I'm allowed to start self-selecting my music, it was it like country had to go. Like it was, it was the kind of thing where I, I, it just didn't do much for me anymore. And especially the contemporary country in our post like nine eleven world. It is so like for a long time it was just very edgeless sentimental overly sentimental i would say and very just it just wasn't appealing to me and you know when you develop your own kind of identity taste in music and stuff you really like country is a very conservative genre and not just in its politics but in its like structure because they've basically been making the same songs for the last 25 years and what did you Uh, learn about sturgill simpson that he's a motherfucking maverick (laughs) so um to go into my background a little bit uh, i i was born in louisiana i grew up in texas we've said this a bunch of times um and my parents are uh huge music heads we used to listen to music in the car in the house in the kitchen while we were cooking we listen to music all the time so um i grew up listening to like uh dwight yoakam uh, johnny cash my my dad's family actually grew up um pretty close to the cash family farm so uh like my great grandfathers on that side they sort of knew each other although they had never met um johnny or rose or anybody in, in that particular circle because they had moved out of where they're from in arkansas uh pretty significant um but like uh, Lyle Lovett, Dwight Yoakam, Johnny Cash, uh, Chris Isaac, uh, Elvis Costello, like a lot of almost country, but it probably exists in different things. Like Warren Zevon was one of my dad's favorite acts, which looking back, I'm like, yeah, like it's, you're like, what? That's like some wild shit, like Send Lawyers, Guns and Money and Roll on the Headless Thompson Gunner and all that shit. That was like one of my favorite songs growing up. Um, you can all judge me now, it's fine. Like Tom Waits, like that kind of stuff. Um, and then he got me into um, a couple of other acts, but like he, he was really kind of like a rock and um, uh, rock, blues, and, and country for the most part. So um, I was introduced to Sturgill Simpson pretty much the same time the rest of the world was introduced to Sir Sturgill Simpson when uh, the day after the Grammys, everybody was like, who the fuck is Sturgill Simpson? And I was like, well, you want the best country album and the best album? So... Those two things don't normally coincide at all. So let's go take a look and see what that was. And it was, uh, he won it with A Sailor's Guide to Earth. And that album is fucking crazy. Like, it is 38, 39 minutes of some of the best country fusion blended music you will ever hear. But, let's talk about the man. So, um... Dude's from Kentucky. He's an honor. He's an actual Kentucky Colonel, which is kind of crazy. Like you don't meet too many people that are like official Kentucky Colonels. 
Um, his parents were a secretary and a Kentucky State Police trooper. Um, he got in trouble with like drug use in, in high school and stuff, and then he joined the Navy, uh, spent some time in Japan, uh, and then he lived in Seattle where he waited tables at IHOP, and then eventually he moved to Kentucky and started playing music. He'd always played music. Um, apparently that's that's a quote in uh his his and in, in one of his interviews is he's like everybody i knew played music growing up so it wasn't a thing that anybody was particularly spectacular at since everybody did it so when people told me i should play music for a living i didn't really put a lot of weight into it and um that's not really where he shines while he is a very good instrumentalist like he plays a very mean guitar um I think his songwriting and his storytelling are where you start seeing him shine, um, especially in the uh, the modern age of bubblegum pop country uh, or, or bubblegum hip hop country. Or is what we've sort they, of or into. that this weird era where you have like country songs that have like guest rappers appearing on that kind of stuff like what was that song nelly was on who was that what was that artist that's over and over again with uh not tim mcgraw is it it might be that song was fucking awful by the way i actually kind of like that song well that's because you're it you're, kind of your little bitch it, yeah <laughs> well you know as you hear it on the radio enough in 2003 and it never leaves you um, i mean yeah it still haunts me you are correct <laughs> it still haunts me to this day so um so sturgill simpson starts writing um and he starts playing for a band called uh, sunday valley in 2014 it's kind of a country rock band they played around oregon um did you say in 2014 2004 excuse me and uh he actually ended up working at a Salt Lake City Railroad Freight shipping yard for the Union Pacific, which my dad also worked for, which is kind of crazy, um, except he was an engineer. So uh, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to run a train yard because that's what I'm going to do with my life. And everybody was like, yo, dude, you're pretty good at music. You should try it. And he goes, man, fuck it. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> the band, uh, Sunday Valley, they toured little bits here and there. They had some fun. And uh, they eventually broke up in 2012. And he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So he worked on High Top Mountain, uh, which he cut in Nashville. He signed to a British indie label. Just Which is ahead. only where it starts to get weird. Yeah, just go ahead and digest that for like 45 seconds. Yeah, because, Electra Records, isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, Loose. Sorry, one of his later albums is from Electra. Yeah, one of his later ones. So the cool thing about uh, Loose is there are actually some decent acts on there. Nobody you would have ever really heard of, but like, there's there, like Towns Van Zant is on there, like Nico Case is on there, like like there's some stuff where you're like, okay, this is like some of the most eclectic releases I've seen in my fucking life. So let's keep going. So he releases uh, High Top Mountain which is produced by Dave Cobb. And some of the session musicians were uh, Hargis Robbins, who is a... So he's a blind piano player? <laughs> um, and he was a, um, uh, a session musician um, for... I mean, he, he has, I don't know, the dude's probably released like maybe seven or eight albums. Um, but he's he's played fucking 
uh, oh god, he, he's if there is a country music artist from the 60s to the 80s with piano in it, it was probably him. Um, and here's the crazy thing. He has Robbie Turner, who is the guitarist for Waylon Jennings, <laughs> whom, if you don't know, is essentially considered country royalty, um, who plays the steel guitar on this album. Um, and you, you get, like, those real, like, Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson vibes out of the first two albums. And I would say, honestly, and you don't, I don't know if you've absorbed that kind of music more or less, but I don't, so I don't know if you would be able to see those kind of inflections and in like how he sings and his general songwriting um, capability. I know this, the man doesn't sing like, <laughs> like a lot of those guys who kind of came around in the nineties. He doesn't sing like Tim McGraw. No, like he, uh, he has a, his voice is very Merle Haggerty. Like he's got that kind of rough, soulful kind of, is he a tenor? I don't think he's a tenor. He's not a baritone, I don't think. No, I mean, he's, it's very interesting. He has a, he has a very listenable voice. So, uh, so we'll do High Top Mountain first, um, this is, by and large, this is the hardest country album he has ever written, and it's probably one of the best country albums written in the 2000, in the, in the, the 20-00s. Um, High Top Mountain is named after a cemetery in Jackson, Kentucky, where pretty much a lot of his family, it's sort of like the family cemetery, essentially. Um, and it opens up with Life Ain't Fair and the World is Mean. Which is a fun, fun yeah, which song. Yeah, which is a great song. I The lyrics on this one are, are really amusing. Oh, is this the one where he talks about uh, like doing pills and drugs? Or is that later on? Uh, that, I mean, okay, if we're, we're throwing that... Well, he does that there, a couple He does times, that a lot. But, yeah. <laughs> so it's... um. There, there's that a, was like... The, so when Jordan first kind of offered me the, the position, I was like, well, okay, between the two, I don't know. This guy, I kind of sounds a little bit more interesting and i listened to high top mountain first and when it it starts off with this track which is very jaunty and very like again i don't really have the words to describe it because i'm not really in to older country acts like the earlier the the oldest country act i know have any like like investment in is like johnny cash let's and say. The, the thing that wilds me out about this song is he really like pumps up his family. He's like, you know, my dad was a legit dude. And he always tried to do right by his family. And my mom's been proud of me forever. Like the line about his mom almost makes me weep every time I hear it. It's so funny. So uh, the lines, but he raised a proud coal miner's daughter. Uh, and I'm proud to be your son. So, oh, that was, his, that's the reference to his grandpa. And then it says, she told me, boy, I don't care if you hit it big. Cause you're already number one. And I'm oh like, that's such a mom thing, and I fucking love every second of it. It's so cool. And, um, and then you, like, you're listening to it, and you're like, even he is saying, like, listen, it ain't fair, shit sucks, but you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, a, it's very appealing, and this is what I think relaxed me going in, because... 
at first I was dreading this, um, just because most country, you know, made after 2000. I just Tell me more! Mind. Yeah. But, this first song, it's, you know, it's, it's, it hit me in a, it hit me in a more positive way and kept me wanting to go. And that was a really good thing. Um, it, it made me want to listen to the rest of the album, which the album as a whole, I don't really like love because it's just not my style. It's, um, it's mostly a little too, it's mostly just a little too bouncy and all the songs are too short. Um, a lot of the songs, uh, my, my real criticism of the album is that once you get to about the, the second act, like the second half of the album, it gets kind of blendy. So like, if you're not paying attention, you're like, what song am I on? And you have to sort of wait for a hook and he doesn't do hooks too often. Like he does them, but they aren't like the centerpieces of the songs. Um, so the next one is uh, railroad of sin, which is, um, I don't know. This one's a little one, probably one of the more song. repetitive songs, but um, cause there's only like what, two, three lines of actual lyrics. And then it's just, you know, the, the, the chorus, which is good, but kind of funky. Um, water in a well is a sad one, but it's one of the most encompassing sad relationship songs I have ever heard. One to me sounds like the most likely to have been on a radio of the whole album, like modern country radio. But I say that, and at the same time, it is a it is a strong song. It is moving. Yeah, it, it's it's very introspective because it sort of makes you. It's one of those songs where like he might be falling out of love, but he doesn't know it, and he's like, "Well, what if that is what it is? Like, you know, what do you do about it?" It's uh, it's very introspective. It's very kind of provoking. Um, and then you've got Sitting Here Without You, which is, uh, I'm not sure if I like the song. I can listen to the song, though, and that, I know that's a weird thing to say. Um, it's a little more down-tempo than the rest of it, I think, specifically. It and Water in a Well are kind of, like, like real sad. Not that they're all not kind of sad in weird ways, I guess. Um, I don't I like... This one's just kind of there. Yeah, the storm is um, interesting. It is uh, probably one of, I don't know if I would call it the more upbeat on the album as this one, or these are all kind of up-tempo tracks for most part. Um, but it, it's good. I like the storm. It's fine. Um, you can it's have fine. the crown you... as an interesting track. Yeah. Um, I think this might be one of the high points of the album because like this is just a... Um, I'll pull it up real quick so Derek can kind of wax poetic for a second. I think this is another one that is just kind of good, but not necessarily... I think the most this one's appealing. like the thing that I like about this one is it's kind of like he's almost digging on himself. So like this is the one where he's like, I've been spending all my money on weed and pills trying to write a song yeah. that'll pay the bills, but it ain't came yet. So I guess I'll have to rob a bank. 
And it's yeah, such a cool the, fucking Yeah, this is the one where he's dragging on himself. Yeah, and then he, like, um, so you'll see a lot of his military influence in his music. Because, um, like, in the next line, it's, I guess it could be worse, it ain't that bad. At least I ain't sitting in old Baghdad in the middle of some hot damn desert sitting in a tank. And you're like, all right, I get it. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, this is one of my favorite choruses that he's ever written. Um, because like this song has some really cool lyrical stuff to it. So he's like, so Lord, if I could just get me a record deal, I might not have to worry about my next meal, but I'll be still trying to figure out what the hell rhymes with Bronco. And the words before it is, well, the name of the game is hurry up, wait, but that ain't put no food on my plate or gas in my car. And I drive a Bronco. So you've got, he's making like a very like, industry standard kind of comment on how waiting to get a record deal is kind of shitty. And then he's like, by the way, I'm recycling a joke because I don't know what the hell rhymes with Bronco. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's that's super cute. And then um, the chorus has actually got... Um, this is one of my favorite written songs by his, even though I'm not a huge fan of like the actual instrument playing. Um, so it says... Uh, well, now, Lord, if you can't, if you can hear me, once you throw a damn dog a bone, because if the devil shows up with a better deal, this old soul's going it down. Uh, oh, I sing them real pretty. I sing them real sad. And all the people in the crowd say he ain't half bad. Well, they call me King Turd up in here on Shit Mountain. But if you want it, you can have the crown. It's a really cool song. Like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't. People are very split on whether or not they like this one. I actually really like this one. Derek can laugh at me all he wants. I mean, it's it when you bring up the lyrics, it is a lot funnier than I recalled. But it is, but it did. It's not as striking. That's the thing. It doesn't really until you read it or you listen to it. I mean, again, this is an album where, and I'm gonna be repeating myself a bit with uh, the next one, Meta Modern Sounds. Is it's It's fine and it's a little blendy. it's just there's not that much different musically going on between a lot of the different tracks. Yeah, that really a, make a lot them of the guitar out. work is very similar. A lot of the tonal changes are very similar. So, like, High Top Mountain suffers a lot from what Derek is pointing out. It's um, you you will listen to it, and then if you sort of don't pay attention for a second, you can get two or three songs down the line and be like. I don't know where I am because it's all a little wishy-washy. It's all a little samey, but it's fine. Um, what else do we have? Time after all is okay. I'm not like the other downbeat one. Yeah, it's 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 on this album. It's probably better than if it would have been on like Meta Modern, and it's definitely better on this one than like A Sailor's Guide to Earth. But it's okay. Hero is really fun. Um, so, it feels like a real song. Yeah, to, it, like, it really does. But it's I think the structure of Hero is more music standard than a lot of the rest of the album. Like it has a very defined chorus or I mean, lyric, the, chorus lyric structure. That's always going to be the rub is like I always get excited when I find something that breaks the mold, you know, that goes against the structure in a good way that I, you know, it's it's part of why I really like stuff like Yes or Rush, but then you get to some stuff where I'm like yeah, it's probably better that you just went with the the, the tried and true. Yeah, like, hey, stay in your lane, guys. You didn't, you didn't need quite <laughs> well, don't get too crazy now. Oh, no! 
Oh no, keep it under 60, boys. But this, this one's good. This one's good. Yeah, Hero's fun. Um, some days in Old King Cole kind of blend together um, very specifically. Like, this is the part of the album where, um, if you don't know better, these two songs kind of get jumpy. Um, I actually really, really like Old King Cole. Um, but Old some, King Cole is definitely the better. I don't really have anything to some say. Some days is take or miss. It's, it's got... It's, it's okay. Like, there's not an awful song on this album, but it does have some doldrums. Um, Old King Cole is a really fun song, though. Poor Rambler is fine. I like Poor Rambler. And I Have to Be Crazy is okay. Like, it's a fine go home, but it doesn't really stand out any more than, like, the first half of the album. Mm. Now, let's see. I don't... I don't think I'd have to be crazy as a great song, but it is at least. Uh, again, it feels like, it feels more like there's a little more meat to it. Um, yeah, it's like it's the thing you get out of listening to High Top and Meta Modern is you start seeing the evolution of an artist that eventually comes out on a Sailor's Guide to Earth and Sound and Fury, which are the third and fourth albums. Like you get these little ticks that you can hear are like. So he's trying to do something, but it doesn't quite get there, um, which he fully encompasses later on. So High Top Mountain is listenable. Um, I don't want to tell you to listen to this first, but it's very hard to not listen to this one first, because if you go to the end of his career, you're going to skip the beginning of it. I I was going to say, it's like, if you're more into country, especially like... Yeah, pre nineties country. I feel like you could honestly drive a pretty clean wedge between like pre nineties country and post nineties country. Oh, absolutely! Like, like the and you be had, like you had the revolution in the nineties with like you know Reba McIntyre, Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt, that sort of saved country music from oblivion, uh, and then we turned it into bubblegum pop and shit on it. So I guess there we. <laughs> And made it, it like for you know made it the most popular music genre in America, and yeah. then and then we shit all over it like we do. I um, don't know. I, I have I have a fondness for country that uh, the late nineties, early two thousand shit on for me. So, and I think this is a neat album because it does feel almost like a like a conscious throwback to a different time in country, but it it at least has a bit more of a modern sense of humor about itself and a modern and it, I think the understanding that, of the world, which is what, again, is like, I can like, appreciate yeah. this a little more <laughs> than other, than at least other, like, modern country, because it, there's something about it that is earnest and at least that's Yeah, that's what I was going to point out. Like, there, there's an honesty to his songs that you don't really get out of a lot of music in any genre. So, like, when you listen to him sing, you, you hear the conviction like, he's singing, you know, he, he's walking what he talks, so to speak. Um, which you don't... Like, that's a hard thing to get in any music genre nowadays. Like, like how many gangster rappers do you know that actually shot somebody and went to jail that aren't Snoop Dogg? By the way, he was acquitted. No, I don't think... No, he did time. Yeah, he did time. So, it's, uh... It's very hard to find... Like, that... that genuine feeling in a lot of music especially in country nowadays like like derek's been joking for a couple days he goes yeah he's the best thing that's happened to country since little nas x and i'm like come on you're killing me 
Am I wrong? You're not, but I hate it. <laughs> I hate everything about it. 2019 was the year that Sturgill Simpson and Lil Nas X saved country from itself. God, I wish you were wrong. I really do. But I don't have, I have no empirical evidence to say that you're wrong. And that's what bothers me the most about that statement. Why are you booing me? I'm right. Yeah. Why are you <laughs> booing me? Um, so we move on to uh, uh, metamodern country. Or metamodern country sounds and, or metamodern sounds and country music. Country music, which is a hell of a title. Um, it, it is, and you feel it really bad. So this is his, um, the, he has described this as his Pink Floyd on Drugs album. Um, because a lot of these songs are um, sort of, I'm trying to think. They're they're a little psychedelic. This a, so this is a down. This is a downer album. This yeah, is like, like there's there's a lot of sadness on this album, but there's a lot of like sort of otherworldly introspection too. Like Turtles All the Way Down is a, um, it's actually a quote from. Uh, the uh, it's Indian philosophy is called the Anavasta, which is uh, there is no underlying basis for existence. And apparently uh, he got wilded out one weekend on LSD and psilocybin and uh, DMT. And uh, he sort of goes on to describe like these absolutely bug out encounters with like Jesus, the devil, Buddha and reptile alien. <laughs> Like turtles all the why way is down. It, why is it always reptile? It's the it's the political uh, it's, the, it's the political nature. So, um, this is a wild ass. This song. Is, the first song is honestly probably it's, it's the arguably most, the best song on the album. It's close to it. I yeah. This, this so and this is the album of his that I have the the most like mixed feelings on actually in that I just don't even I'd have to probably listen to it another five times before I have a real honest feeling about it because a lot of the lyrics on it are introspective you still have a lot of that like genuine weirdness that I appreciate from the previous album and there's a lot of like but it's just married to very in album. And, it's and... just married to very like bizarre shit yeah well and you say pink it's like his pink floyd drug, yeah like it, sad drug album and you know again it's like going way like when we were talking about pink floyd before it's he's pink floyd is the kind of thing where i feel like pink floyd is at their best when they are not particularly prog rock i think that they're the most like fun to listen to when they just want to be a rock band or they're commenting on being a rock band um yeah, whereas but, this one is like, I'm going to get really high and make a Cosmic Cowboy song. And I'm like, you fucking do it. <laughs> a Cosmic Cowboy. That's how it's that's how it's been described, is this is a glorious Cosmic Cowboy song. <laughs> be rooting, be tooting, and by God, be shooting. And always be all shooting. Be and always be kind. Um... So for uh, this album specifically, this is, was his first NPR Tiny Desk uh, concert series. He also went on to Jimmy Fallon, David Letterman at the time, telling you specifically how old that is. Uh, and he went on Conan. So this was 
this was kind of the music that kicked him up a little bit because um, even to date, the record sales on this one are not very good. Um, I think it is sold. The none of his albums seem to have sold a lot. Um, he has sold 228,000 copies in the U.S., which is respectable in this day and age for like country music. But the first one barely sold 100,000. So like, take that as you will. So, uh, Life of Sin. He was, is, he is, according to Wikipedia, on the U.S. top country albums uh, for Billboard, he was position number 69. So nice, 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 nice. I want a nice from everybody fucking listening to this right now. I didn't get a nice out of that guy. Um, so, this, this, this album, Turtles All the Way Down, sets a really weird precedent that both succeeds and sort of fails a little bit as the song goes on, as the album goes on. Um, cause while it's high, it's peaks are very good. It's doldrums are very, very bad. <laughs> so, um, life of sin is pretty forgettable. Um, it's okay. I don't remember. Is it, this one's a little bit, this one's a little bit more upbeat. If I recall, this it is one feels it's just a little bit more like not... it was taken from the first. Yeah. It, it doesn't have in, in retrospect, it, it just doesn't really fit the tone of the album very well. Oh no! Um, but lyrically, it's that's fine. actually why. But it's why I kind of like it too. Yeah, like... it's it's okay. Um, Living the dream is pretty good. Um, it's it's a it's a really cathartic kind of sarcastic way of dealing with that sort of mindset, and I like it. Um, but it's not a great song. <laughs> um, what else do we got? I can remember a bit of living the dream in my like of the songs from him that stick with me. It's a good one. Yeah, it's fine. It's just not voices though. Is voices though is voices? That's is a... fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, <coughs> voices is a very bizarre fucking song. Like that's the one where like you listen to it and you're like, this guy is like, this guy needs some help. Like somebody needs to hug this dude. Like, Voices is rough. And then you hear that one, and then it goes in a long white line, and you're like, he fixed it. He figured out how to shut those voices up. Cocaine. Uh, and then you have long white line, which yeah. is... Gratuitous so amounts of cocaine. Is this a cocaine. cover? No, this it's a cover? not at all, I don't believe. Well, I was just looking here on the, on the writers. It says it's uh, by Buford Abner, and I just haven't seen anything else by him. And in... The next song is a cover, but this one um, I is... believe this one was a... Uh, I, I'm pretty sure this one was a cover, but in Sturgill Simpson-esque uh, style, uh, it, it doesn't really sound a whole lot like the original. Um, and then you have The Promise from When in Rome's. So uh, that's... I didn't even know of this song off the top of my so head. So it's when 80s, I first... 80s heartthrob, let's throw this on a Molly Ringwald song. <laughs> Molly Ringwald <laughs> movie song. Um... This is such a weird fucking, like. So compared to the cover from the next album, which we're gonna gush hardcore about, this one is. Eh. It's fine. It's not bad. It's okay. It's it's an interesting listen because like you're not going to realize it's a cover until you recognize the song or until you have listened to me tell you it's a cover. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's. it's very I don't know. It's just kind of there. It's yeah. weird. Um, a little light is short it's very short. short it's like 
Not even two minutes. Uh, minute 40, yeah, that's about right. I, like, it's kind of a flash in the pan. I think It's if, another skip. Yeah, like, I, I think if a little more care had been taken into this one, it would have been significantly better. And I'm sure there's um, meaning to it and all of that, but I just didn't, I wasn't really feeling it. Um, just Let Go is pretty good. Not great, it's good. Um, just Go is better, although the next... Uh, the next two songs are actually a big pickup for me. Uh, it ain't all flowers is one of my favorite songs oh. that he has written. Um, because like last few minutes on this one are something else entirely. And um, then, yeah, this song evolves a lot throughout is, its its play. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Pan Bull a separate song, or is that like uh, it is considered is that a the, quote unquote hidden track? So it is. Is that, that like it? Well, I see that it says hidden track, but what I meant was, is it like, is it that, is it an actual song, or is it like a instrumental outro kind of thing? <clears throat> um, if I remember correctly, it is post track for It Ain't Flowers. So it's kind of that thing where it gets to the end, and then there's a little bit of down, there's a little bit of mute, and then it kicks over. I'm sure I've heard it, but I'm just trying to remember. What if you that, listen to uh, if you listen to the album put together on uh, YouTube, then yeah, it's in pretty much all of the collections. It's just if you're listening to the CD or the vinyl, um, they're put together slightly different. Yeah, they don't have it on the. They don't have it listed, I guess. Yeah, Panball's really good though. Um, it ain't all flowers is a very long experience and there's a lot of very meaty bits to this song. Oh, this one. Sorry. I, I just listened to a little bit of Panable, but it's the, it's, it's kind of a, another kind of more throwbacky song. It's yeah. Panball is kind of like very a, folky. Yeah. Panball is almost bluegrass. Um, oh yeah. I pretty much is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, like new age folk or bluegrass. It's, it's very like, uh, bouncy, I guess would be a good word. Um, it ain't all flowers. Is kind of like in the same vein as turtles all the way down. It's not necessarily a sad song, but it's um, it's just really strong. Like it's such a cool song because it's like he's trying to fix himself. And he's like, every time something goes right, you can pretty much just expect something to go wrong. Like, it just happens. And the the thing is, is it ain't all flowers. Sometimes you got to feel the thorns, um, which is sort of the thing. And uh, the middle line of this song is really, like, the, the, including a couple of songs on Sound and Fury, this one hits really, really hard. So, uh, been dancing with demons all my life. Every time I find my groove, they cut in like a knife. Been a sin eater, sin eater lord since I was born. Tired of feeling weighed down from carrying around all the pain that keeps me torn. So I pray when I lay me down to die, grab a glass of wine and a seat to dine and go ahead and eat the whole damn pie. It's, uh, that shit hurts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think there's a single human being that can't relate to the idea that everything good has to be rewarded with something bad, right? And it's sort of a confirmation That's bias. just karma, man. Yeah, but it doesn't always... It's not... I guess observing it is a little different. Not karma. That's just like... Yeah. I was gonna it, say, that's just the way it is. It's you just know? this it's weird like, negative confirmation bias, essentially. And it's you know, like, oh, well, man, something really good happened. Something bad has to happen. And like, it doesn't. But it fucking feels like that, right? Yeah, that's... 
it's just it's crazy and it's uh, this is a this is a very long song for him i think this one's like almost seven minutes and the the second longest song in his discography i believe and it's close if not the um because i think uh the i think the go home on sound and fury is almost eight minutes but so this one's got about what about three minutes of instrumentation like there's a there's a guitar yeah. solo there's sort of an intro and an outro like this this is gets a, a little fuzzy it gets a little like yeah this one this one gets kind of deep on itself and um you, you definitely feel it um, of all the ones of all the ones on this album this is the one I'd probably go back to first yeah this one and, and turtles all the way down are good and long white line is just a fun song because it's like you know what fixes problems cocaine you know what causes problems cocaine. <laughs> Like, you know what? That's... Uh, beer. The yeah. cause to and solution for all of life's problems. All of life's problems. And then uh, Pan Bowl is kind of a, a bluegrassy, jaunty kind of tune. It's real fun. Like, I don't I don't think there's really much more to be said about it. It's kind of introspective, but it, it's not. It's very out of place for the rest of the album. I will say that. So this one and the next, uh, this one and uh, A Sailor's Guide to Earth are both uh, pretty highly reviewed. Um, and we're going to, the first album was well reviewed, but again, wasn't quite a critical success. These two were more successful, the middle two. It's hard to say with the, the most recent one. but uh, uh, Sound and Fury had a pretty significant following, um, but a lot of people were... A little torn on it because it definitely was not what they expected out of Sturgill Simpson. It's only sold about like eighty to ninety thousand copies in the U.S. as of this year, um, which is a damn shame considering how good that album is. Um, I wonder so, what it's like on streaming, you know. And with all these albums, I wonder if they've done better on streaming services. Because um, it's very possible, be- like report reporting albums, quote unquote, sales is a very nebulous thing these days it's it's increasingly becoming completely obsolete for telling how popular something is um so all right so the grammys happen right the grammys happen it's uh it's 2017 2016 uh it won at the 59th grammy so that would be in 17 it won but So 2017 happens, and uh, prior to the album's announcement, uh, Sturgill Simpson was like, yeah, I've already got this album done. I'm leaving music for six months. And his uh, son had just been born, and this is kind of, he wrote this song for sort of his children um, to be kind of like life lessons and like things to maybe consider as they grow up and get older. and. Uh, you get that feeling real hard right off the rip. <laughs> like, having listened to this album, uh, both after it won and more recently, um, I can understand why it won those accolades, and I can understand why nobody was really mad about it if they had listened to the album. Uh, this is... This is a pretty, this is a decent step up. And it, it really all has to do, like, 
for me, what really got me to turn like pretty positive for this artist was we're going to get halfway through, but starting off, you have welcome to earth with the pot with uh polywog in parentheses. Um, and this, this is, is already this is a kind really of his strong like, starting track. Th- and this is kind of like his love letter to his son being born. So it's not only very somber and very thoughtful, but it's like this album is one of those that you're going to listen to and be like, okay, this whole album is really brutally honest and I don't know if I can really stand it. Because um, everything on here is song. And Polywog is easily one of the most powerful songs on the album. This is a really, this is a, this one starts off with a good kind of instrumental intro. It's very sad. It's very like, and this is also an album where he starts incorporating a lot more, um, like a lot more uh, instruments. So yeah, the the uh, studio band on this one is almost twice. uh, It's almost three times the size of his normal studio band. Um, And he actually plays a lot of 12 string guitar on this one, which he has done in the past, but he primarily plays 12 string on this one. Yeah. And this first song is. If you don't get a little weepy by the end of this song, you may need to like rediscover some things. First one's real sad. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that kind of, it's that kind of like, kind of hopeful sad you know like yeah like everything about it everything about the song is um so like here here we go so it's like one of one of the later lines is uh and if sometimes daddy has to go away but please don't think it means that i don't love you oh how i wish i could be there every day because when i'm gone it makes me so sad and blue and holding you is the greatest love i've ever known oh when i get home it breaks my heart seeing how much you've grown all on your own so it's like Every time he goes out and comes home, he misses like that little bit more from his kid's life. And like parents will probably understand that significantly more than those of us who like aren't really child adjacent or with child. Really aren't into the whole parenting thing. Yeah. And like I I can get it. Like I I understand it. I don't have kids. So like it doesn't resonate quite as I was going to me. But I was going to say it. A good a good dad so a good dad to son song is you know pretty hard to not get me weepy. It's kind of like yeah, uh, this one uh, this one definitely kind of makes you wish for um happier times um or at least look forward to maybe making happy times. It's um it's very strong. Um and Breaker's Roar is a little more down tempo. Um, and while musically it's not as impressive as some of the other songs on it, uh, lyrically it's very, very good because it's kind of him explaining that like, even though he's out, you know, making a living, like there's so many things that can just stop you from being genuine and stop you from like loving what you love and that will like build you up on things that you don't actually like hold true. And um, one of the last lines on here, like, kills me. It's like, bones break, bone breaks and heals. Oh, but heart, oh, but heartaches can kill from the inside, it seems. (laughs) Oh, I'm telling you, it's all a dream. And uh, the the go home on this song is very somber and um, 
this is uh, this is another one that I'm like, this is probably right about like on the level of radio of country radio play because it's it's you know it's well polished, it's somber, but it's not too it's not too out there, and it's not particularly dark. Um, whereas like Pollywog is. I think too honest for like radio country music. It's way too genuine. Yeah. It's like, way too like, like breakers roar it, while being genuine has a particular um, production that sort of, sort of feels you through it, I guess is what I should say. Um, keep it between the lines. Uh, this is a fun song. Um, so it's kind of him telling his kids like, yo, listen, you can fuck up all you want. Try not to. Please, please try not to. Like, stay in school, get your shit done, be an outstanding student, and then do something that you love in life. And then, because, uh, and this is interspersed with him be like, being like, yeah, by the way, don't get busted for drugs in high school. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> you're like, okay, that was some wild shit. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, this one is, I, I this like. This is the. Well, this is like the first like fun song on the album. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's significantly more up tempo than the the first two. Um, so keep it between the lines, and the next one, Sea Stories, are very uh, not bouncy, but they're a little more up tempo than the the contemporary first two. Um, sea Stories is a really fun kind of your dad's telling stories, and he's like, by the way, these aren't entirely bullshit, but some of them are kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say this is one that I don't actually remember very well. Um, sea stories. It's like, it's like okay. It's just kind of, it's less fun than the last one, and is utterly dwarfed by the next song, which we've been hyping up quite a bit. But so the the it, one it, thing it, I really like with sea stories is this is one of his military songs. So he's sort of walking you through like. Like, these are some things that I've done, and they were kind of not great, but here we are. So he, he goes through, like, sort of his regret in joining the military, or at least his experience in the military was definitely not something he is happy about. Um, and then, like, he starts talking about, like, everything that he did, like... There's a couple of lines in here, like he actually walks you through like his time in, in Japan. So he's like, when I hit the ground running in Tokyo from Kawasaki to Ibisu, Yokosuka, Yokohama, Shinjuku, Shibuya, Rapongi, and Harajuku. And then he's like, he tells you like sort of where he's gone. Um, and this is post-military. So this is in a really down tempo part of his life um, where he was a very functioning alcoholic. And he said, seen damn near the whole damn world from the inside of a bar. And you're like, Man, that sucks. <coughs> and then later on he gets, uh, sometimes sirens send, send the ship off course, horizon gets so hazy, maybe get high, play a little golden eye on that old 64. And I'm like, this dude's, you know what? I like this. And then he goes, uh, and if you get sick and can't manage the kick and get yourself kicked out of the Navy, you'll spend the next year trying to score from a futon life raft on the floor. And the next 15 years trying to figure out what the hell you did that for. That you mentioned it, this is the this is the first inkling that I got that this man is a huge nerd too. Yeah, like this this one just has uh those little touches to it that you're like, 
So, you know, once he got he got into a little bit of drugs in the military and, you know, he may have got, I don't know if he was uh, discharged honorably, disarmably. I don't, I don't know how that went. I didn't really look up into it that much. And, and honestly, like that kind of part of his personal life, I don't really get into for most artists because, I don't know, that feels too personal to me. Like, I, I don't, I feel like his, if his inspiration is coming from that, it's fine, but it's not something that I need to be personally acquainted with as long as he can sort of explain it, I guess. But now we get to the big one. Um, so, uh, the man covers in bloom. Uh, and it's by Nirvana. By, by Nirvana, by Kurt Nirvana. Cobain. Um, and it's one of those covers, uh, and we've mentioned this earlier, like uh, Whitney Houston took uh, And I Will Always Love You oh, from Dolly Parton, or when Johnny Cash took uh, Hurt from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, like they gave the the cover so much of a different energy, a different feeling that it almost completely encompassed and overcame the original writing. Um, and this one gets real fucking close. I mean, like, I can't, I don't know how I will, like, feel about it, you know, in a month from now or a year from now. I have a feeling I'm going to be coming back to this one quite a bit. Because they, so... In Bloom is one of Nirvana's. I wouldn't say in there if if in there necessarily like their A rank of songs, but I, it's I would argue close. that it's one of outside of their Unplugged album. I would say this is probably one of their most popular songs. Yeah, it's not quite the the tippy top, but it's pretty close. It's you know it's one of their hits. It's on it was on radio play. Yeah, it e- easily up. in their top five, like easily in their top five. Um. And you know it's an it's an alt rock it's an alt rock grunge classic. It's it's on um, classic rock stations now. Yep. Insert your uh, insert your nineteen eighty five joke here. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's a you know it's it's a good song and it's it's one of theirs I like quite a bit. But uh, it's pretty standard for them. It's. You know, it's it's a pretty straightforward, more rock sound than, like, grunge. Uh, and this totally slows it down, runs it like a, you know, kind of like a ballad for the first two verses and chorus. Um, strips a lot of the direct energy away from it. You know, takes it, you know, turns it from a rock song into... Uh, a kind of country ballady song. It turns it from kind of a commentary on blind following of messages to a very, very somber, um, almost Garth Brooks-y ballad. Like, it's very um, sobering, I think is the way I would describe it. (laughs) Because the next album kind of excites me a lot more. I have more like readings on them and more like thoughts on some of the songs. But you know, who do you think he's talking about in this song, in this like version? Because in the original, it's kind of it's kind of Kurt taking the piss out of uh, the people who listen to their music, but well, don't it's, it's really align only, with yeah, their don't really align with them. It's not only taking a piss out of like sort of Fairweather fans, but also um, critics. Whereas this one feels like it's more of a like 
the idea going in that all of these songs were written for the sake of his kids. Like these are things that they, he wanted to write an album that sort of would guide them through their lives. And this would be about the time. So if, if we're just lining these up, these would be kind of the, like maybe mid twenties. Like these are the, like maybe the late teens, early twenties kind of, not necessarily directive in life. It's kind of like, these are your floats, you know, like maybe you don't necessarily know where you're going. And it, it really, um, the, so the line he adds, and, and Derek pointed this out earlier, um, is really what makes this song. So in the classic one, uh, he goes, uh, and they don't know what it means. They don't know what it don't means. Don't know what it means. And in this one, um, he adds, they don't know what it means to be in love. Or no, in, it's, in the other don't, one, what I think it means he swaps to love them. someone. I think he does two different versions. I'll have to check, though. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. It is, it is yeah. just to love someone. So he goes... Uh, he's the one who likes all our pretty songs and he likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun, uh, but he don't know what it means. He don't know what it means to love someone. And I don't know why that makes that part of the song hit so much harder. Um, cause I, was that in the original lyrics? For, I don't think so. I actually looked Nirvana? up the lyrics for the Nirvana yeah, I mean, song and I don't think it was, um, but that's a it's it no yeah it's not game. it's not in there at all so like just adding those couple of words to this song and the the tempo of the song and sort of the the drone of the song um uh like i i described it as sobering and that's really the only way i can do it because like it really it really puts you in a place that you're you may not necessarily feel like you're ready for like this song has a very powerful energy to it then it and and then for the final for the final um round of the chorus it comes back with fucking horns and triumphant like oh yeah it's such uh, a build so like the first 70 percent of the song is like sort of a really down tempo very low-key low-key very direct cover like in country style and then at like the 80 percent mark there's this crazy full orchestra explosion at the last end of the song and you're like holy shit and yeah there's there's a slight tonal change and there's a slight timing change and the full band comes in and the the song kicks you out of it yeah and hearing him and hearing him totally croon the he's the one like it he just comes in so hard and so earnest. Like this one, um, it, it's kind of like Pollywog. Like you're going to listen to it and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know what In Bloom sounds like. And you're fucking wrong. <laughs> like, I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. But like, legit, like you have to listen to this cover. It has such a powerful energy to it. And the build is so, like I honestly, I consider telling Derek specifically to not mention the go home on this one. Um, but I fear that 
you might get halfway through the song and be like, okay, I've heard this. It's just the same thing for the next three lines. Yeah, you got to hear the whole thing. And while that is true, it is not an accurate representation of how this song sends you away. Like, the song draws you in, and right as you start feeling it, it hits this massive high point and says, go home. That's it. Um, You go to the next song, and you're like, holy shit! Yeah, it sends you, man. It, like... Oh, like when you see those guys on on souped up lawn lawnmowers that are like, "I'm ascendant." That's what this fucking song does to you. That's the energy it has in the last thirty seconds, and then it goes next track, and you're like, "Fuck!" Like I wasn't done yet, or like it's like, "Damn, <laughs> I'm just recovering." Let me, let me gotta get back on my feet. Yeah, like it hits you hard, um, and that's. Let's keep going because that one, yeah. that one, like I, I can talk about how that song affects and, and yeah. Uh, so the next yeah, song is actually yeah. one of this was actually his first single. So it's "Brace for Impact," which is uh, in parentheses "Live a Little." This is a pretty and good song. This one's also really good. This one's like, uh, this one's again a little bit more of a rock song. It's a little like, it's a little more in your face, a little bit like, um, actually kind of. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but it's engaging. It has an actual, you know, it feels like a whole song. It actually goes on probably a little longer than it needs to, but it's a good. Um, yeah, I think a, I think the song's probably like thirty or forty seconds too long, but um, it, it's very, it's kind of like unapologetically punk rock that's in a different shell. So like the uh, the go home for this one is uh, the 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 chorus is so go and live a little bone turns brittle and skin withers before your eyes make sure you give a little before you go to the great unknown in the sky and um, it's it's kind of like it really takes that bite out of mortality I think and that's a really cool feeling to get out of a pseudo country song <laughs> because like. What was the last country song you heard that like sort of comforted you about your own mortality? Hmm. I think there's plenty out there. I'm sure if I thought hard enough. Probably not quite that hard though. Um, so all around you is the next one. It's fine. Uh, it's, this one has a little bit of the horns in it again. Yeah, the horn section in this one is really good, and that's that's really the high point of the song. The downside is like it doesn't really fit its pieces. Uh, that it's bookended by. So Brace for Impact and All Around You are like pretty pretty up-tempo for the most part. And then you get Oh Sarah, which is a four-minute long, this is a fucking country song. This is what yeah, I came yeah, here to yeah. hear. Yeah, this is the most typical. No, no not really, because it this is, is an atypical... I mean, this is already an atypical record when you compare it to the first two. This one's the most straightforward country one, though. Oh, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And it, it's also... Um, so he recorded this song with uh, Sunday... Oh, God, what was the name of the band? Uh, Sunday Valley. So this this is a re-recording of a song they had already written. And um, you can tell because there's like a very different feel to it. It's an earlier feel. Um, but Osara is a, a very powerful song about his wife. Um, it's... It's pretty good. Um, and then you get to the go home, which is one of the biggest... Call to arms. The, yeah, call to arms, which is one of the biggest, like, 
By the way, on the way out, I'm going to show you my balls, and you're going to be amazed at the size of them. Kind of go on. So this he one... spends four minutes shitting on modern politics, and it's fucking great. This one is this one is also like again more of a hard rocker at the start because it it kicks off very strong. Um, and this is kind of a classic sort of anti-war kind of feel to it like this is this is very much like the vietnam musical anti-war raves that you got in like the 60s and 70s not let vietnam happen that early but like you get the sentiment the anti-war thing that it's sort of getting there and uh man it's good this song hits hard and it's got some real good instrumentation to it um this one's probably the most exciting instrumentally because it, it starts off with that, you know, pretty fast guitar. And it's, it it's almost got honky tonk guitar, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, that is a good way of putting it. Like, it's uh, it, it's got some interesting energy. and it, it's Oh, very... and this one has the crazy end, too, where it's yes. like two or three minutes it's of got, instrumentation. It's got two minutes of like, by the way, I play a 12-string guitar. You want to hear it? You go, yeah, yeah, all right. You got me, dude. I'm it's like a, it's, it's that like joke of like, all right, we got to end this record with a bang, so everybody start like fucking around. Trumpets. Yeah. <laughs> it's it really does have that feeling. It, it's it's pretty crazy, um, and, and it's a great song. So, Sailor's Guide to Earth. Woo. It's a, yeah. Woo. This is a. This was another like pretty a decent critical. Um. 217,000 copies. It's following his Grammy win since and saw a 346% (laughs) increase in streaming on Spotify. Mm -hmm. There's a little fun fact for you. Which, um, I don't follow popular popular music to really have any insight into that Grammy win, but this is a cool little album. It's, um, you don't go into it thinking that you're going to be kind of in your own feels quite the way you are. <laughs> I will definitely say that. Um, and now we have... Uh, fuck. <laughs> so... <laughs> go, whack, tell them a story, Derek. Tell them about your journey to this point. Okay, so I'm three albums deep. That Nirvana cover hits me like a freight train, and I'm like, okay, this guy's starting to get kind of exciting now. Uh, So his fourth album, which is Sound and Fury. And um, boy, is it. Was released, uh, this is actually the most recent album, was released in 2019, and I think August August. or September. Um, And I actually have the limited edition first release final. Um... And what's really weird about this album is at the same time, uh, Sturgill Simpson put out a 40 minute anime, like music video as an accompaniment of music videos to the record, a la, uh, discovery and interstellar five, five, five. And, um, it's, it's been done by a couple other artists, but it's only been done right. I think a handful of times. Um, and this is, I think, one of those ones where it's been done right. Um, so yeah, there's this 
so this is how I watched. Uh, this is how I listened slash like you know had his had his fourth album, and the first song. Uh, the first song is good, but it's that second song that gripped me by the balls. And this album's a trip. Uh, almost to the point where he's like a different person on this than uh, the first two albums by a substantial margin. There's not as much a, a, a golf with uh, Sailor's Guide to the Earth, but this is this is such a such a different listening experience it is a so this album has been called lots of things uh uh, looking at wikipedia it has blues rock psychedelic rock boogie rock and synth rock listed on it which i don't really think that's an accurate portrayal no i don't say alt rock country rock maybe throw in psychedelic rock it's got Uh, some disco synth it's got some fusion uh there's um there's a lot of shit going on. This it feels has, like this feels like the kind of album that like it's got the best disco t- dirty rock song you never knew you wanted to hear. It's got the song that Robert Smith of the Cure wish he wrote. Two of them actually, I guess if you it's consider got, it's Best Clockmaker like, on Mars. It's got like the Deep South version of Soundgarden when we get to like the halfway point. You've got a song that is about fucking. You've got a song that is about fucking like <laughs> there's a lot to love about this album right away. And it is, it is by far my favorite of his and I'll, and I'll, you know, part of that is just because it is of a radically different genre and feel than the other three. Um, so the, and we're going to, we, we're going to be talking a little bit about the, the uh, movie with this too. And I think but, we should do that first, just because I think okay. we could say less about that and more about the actual album. So my favorite quote from Simpson is on the Wikipedia. So he's like, while they were in Detroit, he was listening to Eminem. Uh, He was inspired to write, quote unquote, a bunch of mad shit talking songs about how fucking awesome we are, end quote. And then he later began to like, (laughs) think about what he and his band had produced wasn't like weird enough. So he was like, all right, I'm going to go to Japan, get the five most legendary animation directors in the history, in history together, get them all blackout drunk, and let's have a competition to see who can outdo each other, and we'll just animate the whole fucking album. That is a quote. That is a <laughs> fucking quote. <laughs> and this is how we know that this album is, you know, this album is the sign that not only is Sturgill Simpson on drugs, but he's also a huge fucking nerd. <laughs> like, because his uh, this is the kind of artistry I can really appreciate of a guy who will be like, Fuck it! I want to make an anime out of my <laughs> out of my weird ass fourth album. I've got the money, or we can put the money to this. Let's just do it. <laughs> like, I really have to appreciate that. Like, maybe not honesty, but that like genuineness. This like ability to say, "Yeah, I have the money. Let's just do it. Whatever." Um, and this album is fucking ride it starts off with an almost instrumental track that has um fucking alex jones on it which if that's not an indicator of how batshit this album is it's that's how it starts um and it's mostly instrumental but it's it's a really really good uh 
it's got a really really good guitar to it and it uh the actual well in the movie version of it uh this is a lead-in with uh basa isn't it just a car driving um yeah it's kind of like it's setting up the feeling of this dystopian weird east meets west kind of place i guess um, and the cool thing about this is uh, the team that did it. So you have Junpei Mizuzaki, who did the... Uh, he founded uh, Kamikaze Doga, which is an animation studio. Um, and he got the character and creator and designer for Afro Samurai, Takashi Okazaki, uh, who did... I think the most recent thing he did was Ninja Batman, which was w- weird as fuck. Um, and then he's got uh, Koji Morimoto, Michael Arias, uh, Masaru Matsumoto, Henry Thurlow, and Artol Isom. Uh, he has Shunsuke Ochiai and Hiroki Takeuchi. Uh, these are all people that have worked in anime for like 30 fucking years, <laughs> with the exception of like Henry Thurlow and like Artol Isom. Like, they have all had some hand in something you have watched that is absolutely <laughs> fucking ridiculous. So, um,. To take that as you will, because there's a lot. And he and he shows up at Comic Con with these guys to announce that they're putting this out to coincide with the album release. Yeah, and you're just like, what the fuck happened? Um, so the beginning, like the setup to this, is the craziest fucking story in country music you've ever heard. In your life. <laughs> I can't. I can't even think of anything else. Like, oh no, Lil Nas X got Philly Ray Cyrus. And like, Sturgill Simpson went to Japan and got a bunch of anime producers drunk and said, let's do some wild shit. Like I said, this is the year, this is the year that country is brought back from the brink. It's, uh, uh shit. By, by making, like, make, like, there needs to be a big, like, make country weird again. Because this is, like, this is some balls out shit. Well, and the, I will I will preface, and this is something that I think we need to say specifically. This is not a country album. It's not even close to a country album. So if you go into this expecting like I would Sailor's say, Guide uh, to I, Earth, it has country I would say roots. S- some of the songs are country adjacent. Country is, country-esque is the way yeah. I would describe it. If you go into this expecting to hear High Top Mountain or even a Sailor's Guide to Earth, don't fucking do that. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. Don't do that. One hundred percent, its own weird thing, and it doesn't even. It's not even consistent on what weirdness it is from song to song. No, not not even, not even close. It's absolutely wild. So let's. Uh, we're we're hitting the hour mark. So let's let's walk down a little bit. Let's so hustle. <laughs> you have Ronan, the opening track, mostly instrumental. Although uh, I actually is it all instrumental. I think it's got some. Lyrics. Well, it has radio like clips in it. Yeah, it's, it's got uh, radio. Is... It's it's so the song is thematically somebody tuning through radio stations. So there's like fizz, there's like fuzz between them, and then you get a different radio. Which station. feels like a which feels like a, a kind of a ref. Which feels like a, a nod to uh, uh, Queens of the Stone Age from a little uh, bit from Songs for the Deaf. Yeah. 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 God, that was such a good fucking album too. Oh. oh. Go with the flow is still like one of my favorite bangers ever. That whole album was so good. That is a good album. That's a good album. 
Anyway. Uh, so you have Ronan, which kind of sets up this idea that everything you're listening to might not necessarily be the same thing. It sets that tone very, very early. Um, and it's very, very, there's like sort of an Asian Japanese anime kind of inspired kind of backdrop to it. So you get a lot of different sounds that are definitely not, uh, country Western. And, and then, and then it kicks we hit over the first, the first main track. Which so is... we, we stomp the gas and we hit remember yep. to breathe, <laughs> which has such well, a fantastic, like such a fantastic intro. Yeah, with this the, great bass lick that repeats through the whole song, and it's got this kind uh, of jazz groove to it that is insane. Um, but it it feels so it feels so impactful. Every line on this song is fantastic. The um, and I'm pretty sure this is a song about fucking. I don't think you could. I don't think you could make a good enough argument for me for anything else. But just. The chorus itself is so sleazy. It's such a um, well. There, there are some, and I will warn you. Listening to this song, and I don't. I'm not usually a normal fan of trigger warnings, but um, listening to the song and listening to the lyrics, you can kind of get um, a bit of non-consensual sex kind of vibe from it. And I do not know if that is the intent, so I'm not going to quote it or anything. But you, uh, you also get kind of like. Outside of that, if you really get into it, you kind of get the feeling of, like, these two people are meeting in a park to just, like, do it dirty on a bench somewhere. Like, that's really the vibe you get from this song. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is man. a... It is a skeevy song. It in really the best is. way possible. And, and the, it thumps. The and opening, every line on it is, like, tuned perfectly. Yeah, and the, the opening line... Opening lines are probably some of my favorite lines in music easily in the last decade. Um, so it opens, uh, go out late at night just to see what I can find. Staying in the shadows where the light don't ever shine. Having one-way conversations with the darkness in my mind. He does all the talking because I'm the quiet kind. And that hits fucking hard. <laughs> like everybody has had that voice in their head where it's just like, fuck you. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Oh man, that's some shit. And and listening to this song in execution is different. I will I just read you lyrics and you are going to hear them and they are going to be very different with the way you absorb them listening to the song. Um yeah, that the chorus is so good. It's again, it's a skeezy sleazy song, but it thumps. And it um and it runs really good for that first kind of two minutes. Uh, it's got, it's got some really fuzzy distortion going on towards the end. Well, and that's um, that's sort of to play into the the station like running out of range. It's sort of like a an homage to getting out of the radio station's distance. That's kind of the feeling you're supposed to get between songs. Um. And this is the and the actual little anime. Uh, this song is basically set to a monastery getting massacred by these guys. Yeah, uh, that, that, most... this this animated part of the movie is uh, wild as fuck. Yeah. Um, and then so this happens, and then the movie kicks over to the first single 
um, which is honestly one of my favorite tracks on the entire album, um, Sing Along. Okay. Now, uh, remember we told you this wasn't a country album. This has the singular most country lyrics in the entire album, and you will go, man, that's the bounciest fucking country song I have ever heard. One, the guitar and the bass work on this song fucking slap! Oh, this song's got such a hype energy to it. And it's such a fucking sad song. <laughs> so, uh, the, the chorus is, uh, kind of a hit, and it goes, uh, what is it? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, leaves may fall on sleeping ground, but the wind sweeps them away. Like hurt lovers in the final round, once what was is now decayed. Uh, please don't turn around and leave. You are my only one. Compromise is made out of peace, uh, but history is made out of violence, etc., etc. So then you get to the chorus, which is, I can't go living alone now that you're gone. You've done me wrong. So here's your song. Now sing along. And you're like, that's, such a, that's such a weird sing. energy to bring into a country breakup song. <laughs> It's, it's a yeah it's this is a this is the most typical song on it which makes sense that it's a single but i like it it's not um i feel like it's sandwiched between two really good songs so it kind of suffers as a result so like it's... i think the benefit to that is that the first quarter of this album opens up so strongly that it's very hard to match the tempo and then they don't bother like, they completely change gears after this. Uh, so you're just like, what the... F like, you almost get whiplash going from one song to the other sometimes. Like, it gets really out there <laughs> occasionally. So uh, you go from uh, Sing Along to A Good Look, which is not the Bee Gees, but it's, it's fucking, the Bee Gees. <laughs> this song's a fucking whiplash. Now, yeah. like you go from sort of a, a southern, dirty, sleazy rock song about a breakup to this weird psychedelic disco, disco in a in sort of a, a a blues rock guitar shell. Um, this is if the Bee Gees had done significantly more psychedelic drugs than they had, and said, "You guys want to play some instruments." This is another like this is another one where like Sturgill's being really kind of like um it's another one that kind of talk that has this kind of political like undercurrent. Yeah, the, like, this album you like, kind of feel that bite a little more. Um he became significantly more politically active last year, um in twenty nineteen. Um for those of you who haven't figured it out yet, uh this dude's pretty hard left. Uh <laughs> which once you listen to it, like the first two albums, you go, eh, maybe. And then you get to the third one, you go, yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> and then you get to this one and you go, I hope he sets something on fire. <laughs> yeah. So you get to a good look, which is... Which is you, also a really strange part in the anime, because you have, like, all there's these... There's a dance number? Yeah, it's a, it, everybody just starts dancing to there's this a, There's a robot fight and a dance number and decapitated heads... And, and lines and lines of women wearing pasties on their boobs, like it's uh yeah the the animated movie gets a uh I'm, I'm not gonna tell you it gets weird because we really started off on because it, it, I'm not going to keep it, telling you yeah because it just stays weird yeah it it starts weird and it doesn't get any better um and then you have uh the next two songs uh speaking of whiplash you go from this psychedelic boogie fucking Bee Gees kind of dirty rock song to Make Art Not Friends, which has 
a two-minute long intro that I will 100% tell you to skip because it adds nothing to the benefit of the album. And then you, yeah, and then it's this really kind of like... It's a Smith song if it was written or, a year ago. Like, this is The yeah. Cure if it was written last year. Um, yeah, it's it's totally different. It's very, very low-key. Very, it's, like... It's very biting, too. Very, because very depressed. Well, he's making commentary on the amount of people he has met and befriended in his life that weren't worth his time. Like, he's got so many friends that he may probably shouldn't even call friends because they literally just waste all of his energy and they don't actually provide anything productive to his life. So he's kind of making the commentary that, you know, like, maybe you should just do what you love and sort of figure that out first. <laughs> and then uh, you get... Uh, I don't think there's as much whiplash from this one to the next one. I think these two are more more in tonal key. Um, so but then, then you, go, you go to a banger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then you go to the best clockmaker on Mars, which if that's not a Watchmen reference, I don't. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if it's not because <laughs> I I would be hard pressed to for you for Sturgill Simpson to convince me this is not a, a Watchmen reference. Um, so, God, this song's good. This is another song that's also partially about fucking. There's a lot to this song. <laughs> um, it's got a really sick riff that they God. repeat. Um, uh, they repeat a lot. It's it's this sounds like a lost, almost sound gardeny song. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's this is a really good one on the on the album. This is, I think, the after this song you kind of have a big dip but well this you, is a, you do this and you don't like so we go from this to all said and done which this that will probably give you a little bit of whiplash although tonally these kind of they're kind of closer it's kind of a kind of an upbeat song it's um this one's pretty introspective um you, you're not going to remember it the first time you listen to it just at all period you're just not but this one grew on me the more i listened to the album um it's got a good it's got a good rhythm to it it's got very good instrumentals um and the lyrics are really really solid on this one i'm, I'm th like this one took four or five run-throughs for me to kind of catch and go yeah okay i won't skip i'm it. still not there on it so we'll see yeah it, it's it, a lot of people are going to take or leave this one um and then you have last man standing which is uh how do you describe this song <laughs> This one is... It's like honky-tonk punk rock? Maybe? Maybe? It's... I don't know. <laughs> it's... Monty Python's Flying Circus. Now, I have no idea how to put this one. Because it's... I, and this is not one that I actually... This is another one that I'm, that I'm not particularly fond of on the I'm album. not either, but it's... You should listen to this song at least once to see what you think. Because this song's a ride in a really wild way no and, this one is actually i actually think this one is like it has hmm is it just me or does he sound far away in this one like he yeah this one is kind of like this is kind of like the the really up tempo you're playing in a bar song kind of feel it is a rocker it is a this is another rock rocker but it's, it's kind it's of not punkabilly like, right yeah, it's kind of got that, that that punk. Yeah, punkabilly. Like, uh, uh, what's his name? The third. Uh, 
Hank Williams III. He does punkabilly stuff, in case you've never listened to it. Um, he's got a very unique sound. He's blended punk rock and sort of bluegrass. It's very bizarre. It's really cool. Um, it, it's listen to it once, go away from it and listen to it again and see if you still like it. it it's a it's a weird song. And it's a half banger. Yeah, and, and the animated version of this song is uh, wild. Uh, and then at the very end, it's going to hit you right in your fucking heart. And good luck with that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it does. You can figure it out on your own because I'm getting sad just fucking thinking about it. So good fucking luck. Uh, <laughs> and then you, and then it's you a have dangerous like, world outside. Take this. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. And then you have the most typical with a question mark song on the album, I think, for the style. This it's... is almost a... Um, I'm really upset that I don't remember his name. Who is the guy who wrote Life's Been Good to Me so far? Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. This is a very fucking Joe Walsh song. <laughs> like, I didn't realize it until just now, but having sort of developed, decided, like, sort of digested that in my head, this is like sort of a uh sort of a southern rock joe walsh kind of song you get that same kind of energy out of this one god it's weird that that just hit me another weird one uh i can't it's funny because i really hold the first half of this album in high regard and then like there's after best clockmaker there's like three it's like three songs that are like good not great uh I don't really like All Said and Done or Last Man Saying. This one's a little better, but it's not It's not necessarily a song I love. Well, Mercury um, Retrograde is a very good commentary of how shitty the music industry is. I really, really like the, the lyrical commentary in this. This is another one where it seems like he's kind of like... Um, it's, not, it's, it's kind of like the same with Make Art Not Friends, where he kind of is... Like... Talking about, talking about how, like, the people around him aren't it like you know, he's grown more kind of wary of the people around him or more like it's the hangers upset. on are not as fun as they used to be. And he's really more of like, I'd really just want to go home. Yeah. And then you get to the fastest horse, fastest in town. horse on a rest. Oh, this is a really good one. This is another, this is so, this is his longest song at seven minutes. Um, and, uh, there's a closing lot track on the album. going on on this song. So this is, would you say this is the more, like, the most ZZ Top-ish? Yeah, I think there's a ZZ Top kind of spirit being channeled here. I don't think to fulfillment, but I think there it is definitely ZZ inspired. It's a hard rocker. It keeps moving, like, real strong, and the instruments in this one are fantastic. Um, uh, it feels... It yeah, never really hits, like, the full instrumentation of the last one, but, like, every instrument is used very thoroughly on this track. <laughs> um, and so I think I'll just do, like, the first lines and the last lines. Um, this is another one of those industry commentary songs. Um, kind of a, a life retrospective for um, possibly Simpson. So the first sets, uh, I've been wasting all my best days. I've invested all my worst ways. I've been thinking about all the things I should have never left behind. Ought to be watching the children playing in the yard I never see I should be mowing today. Instead, I'm searching for all the words, ways to say all the words I can't find. Everybody's trying to be the next someone, but look at me. I'm trying to be the first something. Um, that's hard. 
Like, that kind of hurts. Like, it's him, like, sort of looking at his life and going, why the fuck am I even doing this anymore? (laughs) (laughs) And, like, how many of you have ever looked at your life and gone, well, I fucked that up. What else is next? (laughs) Like, where am I going to go from here? Life life is mean and it's unfair. Yeah, like to, to for that being the opening track of his career to this being the final one, it is kind of a weird like compl- Yeah, like the the bookends of his career right now are very impressive. And I don't I'm almost I would be willing to bet any amount of money that, that it's not that intentional. But when you look at it you're like, boy, it feels like that, right? Well, you know, and we don't know where he's going to go from here. I, I hope it's an album half as interesting as this one. So and interesting, um, is, interesting is like an awful word to use because it doesn't really mean anything when you say it. But this, this is such, such a, a weird thing. Yeah, it was such a unique experience. And I think that's what set a lot of people off because this album has not sold well to date. And admittedly, being released right before an American pandemic, people aren't really absorbing as much, you know, sales. So their streaming numbers may be significantly higher than we're aware of. So we can't really speak to it. And what's funny is, is about a month ago with the, with the pandemic, uh, there was actually like a conservative backlash against uh, Sturgill because he uh, went off again because he got uh, diagnosed with COVID, but he kind of, he was unable to get treated for for a long time. Yeah. So, and he went to, you know, the VA, you know, he went to the, the VA and he had, he was suffering symptoms for over a month and it's very possible his wife is also, um, uh, COVID positive. So we, I don't know that much about it, but I do remember. So like he wrote about it and he was like, Hey, you know, like not only have we had to cancel some things, I may have some health issues, um, going forward. So, uh, you know, just, I'll, I'll keep everybody updated. We'll do some stuff online. You know, I'll try to play some live shows. And then essentially he just spent like a paragraph and a half being like, oh yeah, by the way, fuck Trump. This is stupid. And like he went into (laughs) the ways like even as a veteran, he couldn't get tested. He couldn't get approved for the test. And um, he got a lot of conservative backlash. He's like, oh, you don't talk to a president that way. You know, whatever all that bullshit is. Um, that's (laughs) That's a different at me you can do because don't, you're wasting your time. That's a commentary that we yeah, are never that's going an to see. Me. That's an at me that we're happy to take. Uh, yeah, you, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to ignore you on that one. We're not going to see eye to eye on that. There's nothing you're, you're going to be able to do to convince me that any of those moves were made in the right manner or in the best interest in art. Let's just yeah, agree support, to disagree. We support Mr. Simpson. We will, we will agree that you are wrong, and we will move on. Um, so your journey through Sturgill Simpson, because this was definitely something that I sort of intentionally put you through for the right reasons because i knew this was going to be a country artist that evolved into something else so what did what did you think overall um i think i'm gonna stick around with this guy i think i'm i can't honestly say that i'm gonna look back on his first two albums and go back to them like frequently but that last album man (laughs) It's so good um, that I think I'm going to keep listening to that one a few more times, and I think it might enter my regular rotation. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very excited with how this how this one turned out because he's it's 
that first album is fine. Don't get me wrong. And the second, the first and second albums are fine. They're good. Uh, in fact, especially given your when I told you we're doing country music, those are probably not what you expected. <laughs> I had my fears, but I'm glad they were for not, and that this guy ended up having a really exciting career path. And honestly, I I look forward to what he does in the future. If like I would totally be down for another album like this, or at least something with as much experimentation going on. Yeah, because not every artist gets to make like this weird experiment that goes right. Like a lot of times it, it falls down and, and you know, you're just, you're as an artist, you're going to make what you want to make. And I think that's sort of the benefit for sound and fury was he was like, I want to make something fucking weird. And then he did. <laughs> and not only did he make it weird, it was good. And those two things vary a lot, very rarely align in the way that this album did. So um, personally, I would recommend you listen to all of Sturgill Simpson if you're a fan of classic country. Um, the first two albums and most of the third album are going to be very familiar, very somber reintroduction to classic sort of storytelling country, uh, metamodern as he has described it. Um, if you just want to listen to a crazy banger of an album, listen to Sound and Fury and be like, okay, these boys got me. <laughs> because Derek had no idea I was setting him up for Sound and Fury at all. This is this was a great haymaker. This was a this is like the reverse of brand new, where I started out kind of digging it, and by the end of it, I just wanted to get off that ride. <laughs> I want more. Like this is a this is a great out. Al- like this, especially the last album's great. Um, I think his first album's good, if a little typical. I think his second album is just not particularly fun to listen to, but it's well made. Uh, his third album is definitely, I think, a step up and a little bit more experimentative and that cover is sublime, but this album I, I really liked. And I think that, I think that, so if I was going to pick a few songs to help you get into the Sturgill Simpson oeuvre, if you will, the oeuvre. I would say pick up in bloom. See how you like that. See how you like, um, and probably from the first album, I would say check out. So there are three songs on four songs on the first album that I would say. Life would ain't say, fair and the world is mean. Because that song fucking hits. That one and Water in a Well, I think would Water be Water in a Well like. are very good. If you like those two, move on to Old King Cole and you can have the crown. And if you like those, hit Hero. And then you can kind of stop. Like, that's fine. Like if you like, I would say listen to the whole thing. But if like that's where you're like, yeah, this is pretty much where I'm stopping. I'm cool with that. But like, listen to Water in a Well and Life Ain't Fair and the World Is Mean first, because Life Ain't Fair. Maybe is such pull a up like if you want to get a feeling for the second album. Try I would just listen to Turtles and Any and All Flowers. And if you really like those, maybe listen to the rest of it. So uh, I, if I were telling, yeah, if if I were telling you meta modern songs to listen to, It Ain't All Flowers, A Little Light. Long white line and turtles all the way down. And if you're like, all right, sure, let's 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 figure this out. And then you can and voices. I think voices is really good too for different reasons. I think that is a very not like country music songs don't normally broach mental health issues, and that was a very weird paradigm shift for that kind of song. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was really cool. Um, Sailor's Guide to Earth, Polywog. In Bloom, 
Shit. Oh, man, that's hard. <clears throat> I would say Polywog. Brace for Impact. Brace for Impact's good. I would say Polywog, Breaker's Roar, In Bloom, and Brace for Impact. And then if you're feeling those, and you're going to feel In Bloom, I don't even fuck who you are. If you're not feeling that song, you gotta, you need to re. <laughs> you need to restart your heart because you're dead. Yeah, you gotta do something, my dude. You are. Uh, there's some shit going on. You gotta get fixed because that that is, especially the go home for that song. Like, he's the one. Like when they when they set into the full orchestra hit at the very end, and you get about forty seconds of it, and then it's over, and you're like, I want more. It's never coming, but it was so good. <laughs> While it was there, it's a transformative experience. It really is. Like, um, I, I didn't. I specifically didn't tell Derek that was. I wanted him to go into that. That was a thinking, good surprise. Yeah, I, I wanted him to go into thinking like, "Oh, this is going to be a Nirvana cover." And while it was, it was not what you were expecting. <laughs> and then sounded. I think that was the first song I texted you about. Actually, yeah, it was. Of this. Yeah, he. I get a. I get a text message like. Dude, this in bloom thing fucking hits. I was like, yeah. Um, so, fuck, sound and fury is hard. It is like nothing you've ever heard before. I would say. Um, so if you're trying to hit the high points and then absorb down, I would say, fuck. Just listen right, to the whole good, thing. Good, all right. If you want, like the, th- if you want, like the th- the different modes. Go with a good look. Go with best clockmaker on Mars, and go with uh, probably uh, make, our make art not friends. friends. Yeah, I think four, five, and six is the way to go. Because those are like <sighs> those will get you the highs and lows of that album in terms of different styles. And, and honestly, I'm well, just gonna I, tell you to listen to the whole fucking thing. Well, remember to breathe is my favorite song on that album. It's that whole that those four those three like right there are gonna hit you. You're like. You're gonna find That'll... something in those three that makes you go, "Yeah, all right, you got." It. <laughs> but if you can't, if you have Netflix, and you think you'd be down to watch like half of a heavy metal, then <laughs> it is it then is very the, heavy metal ish. Then I think then the video is a pretty good time. It's fun, and it'll give you. It, it's it's honestly like I you know I I'm a little too young to have really gotten the full experience of watching MTV. But that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, it's, it's about as the Wild West as the beginning of MTV as you can get. Um, so that's that's Sturgill Simpson. Now you, uh, unlike everybody else at the 2017 Grammys, know who the fuck Sturgill Simpson is. <laughs> <laughs> so go out in the world, listen to you some country music, and then listen to Sound and Fury and go, I wasn't ready for this. I was not. You may not be ready for Sound and Fury, but it's ready for you. <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna blow your socks off in plenty of different ways. All right, so that's it for Sergio Simpson. So we'll see you guys next week. Later.